The sermon today comes from 1 Corinthians 14, 20 through 40. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each has one hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all be done for building up. If any speak in tongue, let there only be two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh in what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues but all things should be done decently and in order. Years ago, I took on the uh, task of redoing the master bathroom in our home. And uh, it was a project that took, I guess all do-it-yourself projects end up this way, but it took twice as long as I planned. But I remember uh, the demolition of the existing bathroom. I took it down to the studs. And uh, the demolition was quick. In fact, it took maybe a day or two. I mean, you're just sledgehammering, you're ripping stuff out. And pretty quickly, the bathroom was down to nothing but studs. It was awesome. The rebuilding, the sheetrock, special sheetrock for, you know, bathrooms, the, the tiling, the tub, even realigning some of the plumbing, all of that took a long time. The teardown, quick. The building back up, took a long time. There's a home in our neighborhood that, uh, I think it was this past fall, maybe even last spring, uh, was just torn apart and destroyed by fire. But the house still, fire destroyed it, but the walls were still up and uh, it couldn't be repaired. It had to be torn down. And I remember when they, when they tore it down and brought in big dumpsters and that house was brought to the ground, put in dumpsters and removed in a matter of a day or two. And all that left was just, was just dirt. They're just starting to rebuild that house. 
the rebuilding of that house is gonna take months and months and months. Tear down is a lot easier and it's a lot quicker than building up. And that's true in the church, think about it. How much easier is it to gossip about someone than to encourage someone? I mean, how easy is gossip? Or, or how easy is it to speak negative about someone or about what somebody's doing wrong rather than what someone's doing right, right? Or how easy is it to be critical than to be positive and encouraging? Right? We understand that's the native default of a sinful human heart is to tear down, not build up. And it's that kind of scenario that Paul is speaking into here in chapter 14 in, Corinth, in, chapter 14 in the church in Corinth is the, the phrase, and we see it in verse 26, let all things be done for building up. In fact, the word building there is used, to, it's the word for a house. Literally, it means to, to build something up. That phrase appears over and over in this chapter, even the first 19 verses. And Paul is speaking here about the church being built up, not torn down, but being built up specifically in the context of worship of a worship service when God's people gather for worship. He's answering the question, what kind of worship builds the church up, builds people up rather than tearing people down? So what kind of worship does that? First, we're gonna see here worship that welcomes others. Now, chapter 14, first 19 verses, Paul introduces this spiritual gift of speaking in tongues that in the Corinthian church had gotten out of control. It had gotten out of control. Many believe this was the gift, going back to chapter 12, this is the gift that was like the prominent gift in the church. If you wanted to be spiritual and you wanted to be somebody, you spoke in tongues. Right? It had become that kind of thing in the Corinthian church. And the first 19 verses describe what was happening. And that is that, that people were speaking in tongues and there was no interpretation. So it was unintelligible speech, unintelligible language in the corporate worship service that Paul's making the argument wasn't building anyone up. In fact, it was doing just the opposite. And when we get to verse 20 in chapter 14, we learn why this was such a serious problem in the church. Look at verse 21. In the law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, will I speak to this people? And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now that's a quote from Isaiah 28, describing a time where God's people were sent into exile in Assyria because they were rebelling against the Lord and they wouldn't listen to the Lord, even through the prophet Isaiah. So he sent them to Assyria where they were hearing unintelligible speech, a foreign language. They didn't understand this language. And so God's people in judgment were in a place where the language was unintelligible. Now he goes on, look at verse 22. Thus, or therefore, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. 
while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. What's Paul mean there? Well, for unbelieving Jews that were hearing Paul, the prophecy from Isaiah was a sign. But for unbelieving Gentiles who were hearing Paul, this phenomenon of tongue speaking was a sign. Now, why is he connecting this back to Isaiah and God's people in exile? Because in the same way that God's people were in exile, away from home, in a place they didn't feel like they belonged, hearing unintelligible speech, a language they didn't know, Paul's saying, in the same way, unbelievers and outsiders who walk into your service and hear unintelligible speech, tongues that aren't interpreted, are under judgment and they're driven away. They're not welcome. Look at verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, that means that everybody's speaking in tongues, nobody's interpreting. So it's just a bunch of unintelligible speech. And outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say you're out of your minds? You're crazy. This place is crazy, right? I, I have no place here. I don't belong here. And, and so unbelievers and outsiders were driven away. You know, exiled, not, this wasn't a place for them. They couldn't understand what was happening. And, and notice here that Paul describes two kinds of people. He says unbelievers and outsiders. What do they mean? Well, unbelievers is, is those that don't believe the gospel, don't believe in Jesus Christ. The word outsider, it's an interesting word. It means a novice. It means someone that has not acquired expertise or skill in a certain area. And applied here, what Paul is saying is outsiders were potentially those that had maybe recently come to faith in Christ, but didn't know the word, didn't understand the church, or potentially people that were maybe in and out of worship service here and there, but with no real grasp of the gospel. He says, when those people walk into your service, they aren't welcome because they don't understand what's going on. Now, let me, let me drive to some application here. You see, what was happening in Corinth is that this tongue speaking had become the thing that, that that's what you wanted to do if you were gonna be super spiritual. And so what happened is outsiders and unbelievers were walking in and watching these Corinthians parade their gift of tongues and show off. And it was just full of pretentiousness. And it was absolutely driving outsiders away. Now, on the contrary, Paul says in verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What's prophecy? It's Paul saying, listen, but on the, on the other hand, prophecy they'll understand. Why? Because prophecy is simply the teaching of God's word. It's taking God's word and it's explaining it. And it's teaching it in a way that somebody can understand. May not agree with it, but they can understand. Right? So how does this apply today? Two points of application. And before I get to the application, let me just make a comment about tongues, the gift of tongues. I'm not gonna spend a long time in this, Right? Because I don't, Paul's not trying to make an argument here for whether tongues still exist or whether they've ceased. That's not the point of the chapter. 
But just for some context, because you don't experience that here at Christ Church East. And so you may be going, I'm, there's a disconnect. That's because we, we, so tongues, in Acts chapter two, we see that tongues are foreign languages, that the, the nations that had gathered at Pentecost were hearing the gospel in their own language. And that's called, that was speaking in tongues, the language. There's also, and we see it here in chapter 14, tongues that's more of a, a heavenly language that's spoken to God, right? Um, and, and that's why Paul says, if there's no one to interpret, just do it in your closet at home. Don't do it in the worship service. There's no one to interpret. So there's, there's various forms of tongues. We believe that tongues were foundational to the establishing of the church in the first century, an apostolic gift that established the church, but that they're not normative today. And that's why you don't experience it here. Now, I'm just gonna leave it at that because that, Paul's not making that argument here. But for those of you that have a little bit of a disconnect, that's, that's why, all right? Now, let me make some application here. And the first is this. If the issue that Paul was concerned here, the, the, the seriousness of the problem wasn't around speaking in tongues per se. He's saying, I prefer prophecy, and, and if you're gonna do tongues, there's a certain way it should happen. But why is Paul so concerned? Because the way they were doing it was driving outsiders and unbelievers away. It was not a welcoming place. If you were in the first century and you went to the Corinthian church, it was not welcoming for that reason. So application. First, let me point some things out about the worship service here at East. Number one, if you look on your order of worship that you can hold in your hands, at the end of the order of worship, you will see a list of terms and a list of phrases with definitions. Why? Because we don't want those words or phrases that show up in the order of worship to be unintelligible language. We don't assume that you know what that means. And so we're gonna explain it. Or when we're singing in worship and we're singing songs, you'll notice that here and there on the bottom will be a, a definition or a description with a passage of scripture of a word. Why? Because we don't want you to be singing something that's unintelligible, that you don't know what it means, and we don't assume that you do. And so we put an exclamation up, an explanation up there. Let me give you a third point uh, as it pertains to the worship service. I try, I try really hard at this. I'm not perfect. But when I'm referring to a passage of scripture, I try never to say, and you know that passage of scripture that you all know really well? What happens if you don't know that passage of scripture really well? Where does that leave you? Judged? Uh, you don't have it together? It makes you feel like I don't belong. There's stuff you should know here and I don't know it. And the pastor's saying stuff that I should know and I don't know. And I remember when I first came to Christ at age 22, I remember experiencing that in church. Pastor would make a reference to a verse and say, yeah, you know, you guys know this verse really well. And I'm like, I've never heard that verse. <laughs> never heard it. And what I, I felt judged, I felt I don't belong, right? Or in, in, in small group Bible studies, same thing would happen, right? So I'm giving you, look at me, I'm giving you full permission, not just permission. If I do that, please talk to me afterwards. I mean that, because this is to be a warm and welcoming place for outsiders and unbelievers. And that starts with how the worship service happens. Now, that applies to those that are leading the worship service. What does it mean for you? 
What does it mean for you as a participant in the worship service? Couple thoughts here. Remember that the, the behavior that Paul's talking about is speaking in tongues and how the Corinthians were doing it in an unhealthy way. But the heart behind that behavior, which is really what Paul's getting at, was pride and pretentiousness. That this was a group of people that felt the need to impress everyone. That they had to impress and show off their gifts. And so especially with this gift of tongues, they're gonna impress and show off, you know, pretentiousness, which is simply the result of the heart needing to impress others. Pretentiousness is so cold and unwelcoming. Have you ever walked into a pretentious environment? And have you ever wanted to walk right out? It is not warm. It's not welcoming at all. And so, yeah, there's the tongue speaking going on here in the Corinthian church, but the heart problem was pride and pretentiousness. The need to impress, the need to show. We have a greeting time here in the worship service at East. And that greeting time is intended to make this a warm and welcoming place for newcomers. But if that greeting time is not used well, it actually does just the opposite. And what do I mean by not used well? That if when we go to the greeting time, all you do is go to a friend and talk to a friend and don't find somebody you don't know, guess what happens? Can you imagine if, and, and, and I hope, if you're a newcomer, I hope this didn't happen this morning. If so, we repent, please forgive us. We're not perfect. But if, if you're a newcomer and you come to church and the greeting time happens and nobody says a word to you, it would be better if we didn't have a greeting time, right? Because of the coldness and the pretentiousness and the unwelcome. So when we have greeting time, know what that's for. It comes out of this passage of scripture to be welcoming to outsiders and newcomers to go find someone you don't know, introduce yourself. After the service, in the first couple of minutes after the service, don't run to a friend that you know. Find someone after the service, somebody that you don't know and just go introduce yourself. And after you've done that, yeah, you'll have plenty of time to fellowship with people you know, but you all play a part in this being a warm and welcoming environment for newcomers and outsiders that we have every week showing up here. The leadership up front dictates warmth and welcome, and you as a body dictate warmth and welcome. And the Holy Spirit brings that welcome through his people. So the worship that builds up the church is first and foremost welcoming. Second, worship that builds up the church puts others first. Now, Paul's gonna address this attribute of worship through two situations in Corinth. Right, first, look at verse 26. He says, when you come together for corporate worship and various people participate, notice he says, one has a hymn, one a lesson, one a revelation, one a tongue, one an interpretation. He says, make sure it's done in a way that builds up the body. Now, what's the way that builds up the body rather than tearing down? Look at verse 27. Let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. This is speaking of tongues, speaking in tongues. Verse 28, if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent. Here's the key. First, he says two or three, that's it. Not everybody, 
right? Not everyone gets an opportunity. And then second, he says, in turn. In other words, what apparently was happening in the Corinthian church and their worship services, everybody was just speaking in tongues over top of everybody. I mean, it was just disorderly. It was, everybody was speaking over everybody. Everybody was interrupting everyone. It's just a rude environment. And then he says the same for prophecy. Look at verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent for you can all prophesy one by one. Again, what's happening here? He says two or three, that's it. Not everyone. And, and he leaves room here for what was common, which was when a prophet would speak, that somebody could interject a comment. In other words, weigh what the prophet said. Is this true? Is it true to God's word? And then, and then, and then interject a response. That was encouraged. But when that happened, the first person remained silent. The second person speaks. What's he saying? I don't want everyone speaking over everyone and arguing, right? And being rude and interrupting. It's one by one, right? There's order here. No one's talking over someone. Nobody's rudely interrupting, right? Now, why do we, this happens all the time, why do we interrupt each other? Why do we speak over each other? Some of you are going, man, my family growing up, you just defined my family. If you just raise your volume. And if you're not heard, you up the volume more and you up the volume more. In fact, some of you that were home or with family over Christmas break went, woo, I just had a fresh dose of that. That's how you just get things done. Everybody talks over everybody. Just talk louder and argue. And, and right. Paul said, that doesn't happen. That does not need to happen in the public worship service. Now, let me just quickly make a, you're going, well, <laughs> that doesn't happen in our worship service. People aren't yelling at Keith up front. And right, okay, so that, Granted, that, that's not something we do here, but it does happen in community group, which by the way, when it's talking about the Corinthian church, do you know they were house churches? And they did everything. They, they did baptism, they did Lord's Supper. They, I mean, everything happened in the house church, maybe 30 people, 30 to 40 people. Some of our largest community groups are the size of the Corinthian house church. Okay, now you see in community group where there's a lot more give and play or give and take, right? That that can happen. Why do we interrupt and talk over everyone? Because we feel like what we have to say is most important. Or we are just absolutely zealous to show how we're right and that person's wrong, right? Now, why do we have the need to be right? Why do we have the need to make sure that what I say is most important? Because if you're not receiving your worth you're being understood, your value from Jesus Christ, then you're left trying to gain that value and worth yourself. And that means I will interrupt someone. I will show someone how I'm right and they're wrong. In other words, it comes out of a deep insecurity. When we interrupt, when we talk over someone, when we fail to listen, it's a deep insecurity that I'm not getting those needs met in Christ. And so I'm gonna get them met in this conversation and I'm gonna interrupt somebody. I'm gonna be rude, and I'm gonna talk over them. James 1.19 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, 
slow to speak and slow to anger. It's not just quick to hear or quick to listen, but it's, it's quick to listen and understand. We interrupt and we talk over people when we're not being heard by Christ. In other words, when Christ is not meeting our need to be heard, then we will make sure someone else meets that need. Even if it means I rudely interrupt, I talk over, I don't listen to them well. Or when, when you're seeking to, to be understood in conversation rather than understanding the other person, the reason you're doing that is because in that moment, Right? You're not resting in the fact that you're understood by Jesus. You're not getting that need met by Christ. And so in the conversation, you have to get that need met, which means my goal is to be understood, not to understand the other person, which leads to interrupting. It leads to all that, not listening. Now, again, this application in a, in a worship service like this is hard to apply. But this certainly happens after the worship service and conversation. It certainly happens in community group or in a Bible study or in any kind of small group setting. The question you have to ask is when you're in that kind of setting, one, a small conversation or in a setting of a group, a small group, do you seek to understand other people in the group or is your goal to make sure that everybody in that group understands you? Or is your goal in the group to prove to everyone else that you're right and they're wrong? Listen, if that's your posture, you will interrupt. You will talk over. You won't listen. You'll listen, but you're not listening. You're just waiting to pounce. If your needs are not being met by Jesus Christ, that's what will happen. That's why a church like Corinth that was functionally operating independent of Christ, that's what Paul is trying to pull through this entire letter to them is when they're functionally not having their needs met by Christ, their worship service was an absolute circus. A circus of interrupting, a circus of parading gifts, a circus of talking over, a circus of not listening. I mean, it was a mess. And that's what Paul is speaking into here. So worship that builds up the church is worship that puts others first, which means listening well. And then the second situation that Paul brings up here uh, is around respecting others. Let me take you to the really hard part of this passage, verse 34. The women should keep silent in the churches. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, before, ladies, you get up and walk out. <laughs> He's speaking to what's happening here. A couple chapters earlier, in chapter 11, verse 5, Paul says, every wife or woman who prays or prophesies in the worship service. Paul's not contradicting himself three chapters later. No, what's happening here is coming on the heels of how they handled prophecy, which was when a prophet stood up and taught the word of God that there was a, a, an opportunity for people to respond, to interject, right? To weigh what was said. Is this truth? Is it not? To ask questions for clarity, to make sure that this prophet was speaking truth. 
Now, apparently what was happening in the Corinthian church is that when a husband stood up to teach that his wife would respond in a way that was trying to show him up. Asking a question that was shaming him or making a comment that was, was, was geared at saying, no, you're wrong. In other words, public shaming. And Paul's saying basically, it is shameful to shame your husband in public worship. It'd be like if my wife stood up and said, Keith, that is just rotten. That's wrong. Lord willing, that never happens. But essentially that what was happening. And Paul says, no, 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 listen, don't bring your family feud into church. Don't bring your marital, marital feud into church. Go home and talk through that. Wives, if you have something to say about your husband's prophecy, that's a good thing. But go home and talk to him about it and work it out. So let me give some application here. And this flows out of Ephesians 5 that says, husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands. That's the command that this flows out of. Paul says, wives respect your husbands. Go home and talk about that. Don't do it in public worship. Now, how does this play out? Again, in the worship service, this doesn't necessarily have in our context application, but it certainly does in our community groups. And I'll just say this, to, to tie it directly here. You know, a husband says something in a community group and you as, a wife, as the wife maybe don't completely agree and you've come off a week where you've had some conflict and you've been kind of hurt by him and you see your opportunity to kind of dig it in a little bit and so you respond in community group with, well, honey, dot, 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 whatever. And, it's, and it's, 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 it's just disrespectful. And what's happening there is your community group is watching the family feud, <laughs> watching the marital feud happen in front of everyone. Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Just wait, exercise some self-control, go home and talk it through. Right? That's what was happening here. Hopefully that's helpful. Gives you some context of what Paul is, is speaking about here. In other words, worship that builds up the church puts others first by listening well and by respecting others. And I would say, I'll take the liberty to say it goes just the opposite way. So wives, don't disrespect your husbands in public. Husbands, don't disrespect your wives in public. Don't shame each other in public. Work that out in the home. Honor and respect one another in public. That's what Paul's driving at here. Put others first. Think for others, respect others, right? So worship that builds up the church, welcomes others, it puts others first. And finally, it's grounded in God's word. Look at verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Now, Paul is, in this verse, calling out this Corinthian church for doing its own thing. They were freewheeling. They were trusting their own wisdom. They were making up their own rules. They were basically making up church. They were not rooted in God's word and, and, and Paul calls them out for it. One of the reasons, and if you remember back to the very beginning of this series, in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, 
we learned that this Corinthian church was heavily shaped by the culture around it, the city of Corinth. And one of the things that, that marked the city of Corinth was, almost as an art form, was public boasting and self-promotion. That was what happened in Corinth. And on top of that, Corinth was known for rhetoric. Now, let me describe that word. Rhetoric is language that is designed to impress people, but lacking in sincerity and content. In other words, speaking in a way that's just gonna impress people, whether it's true or not, <laughs> whether it's sincere or not, in Corinth, how people perceived you was more important than the truth. And boy, does that ring home. I'm more concerned about how people perceive me than being true to who I am. That was the city of Corinth, and it had crept in on this church. And now you can see why speaking in tongues was this, was, got out of control. Because if that was the gift that was kind of held up as the way that you would impress someone, guess what? Everybody's gonna speak in tongues because this is gonna impress people, show people how spiritual I am, right? Or the prophecy, which what we see there is the prophets were getting, there was interruption and it was rude and they were talking over and all that stuff was happening. Why? Because if a prophet spoke and you wanted to impress everybody, well, guess what you would do? You'd stand up and you'd show how that prophet was wrong and how you're right. You can see how all this stuff was happening in the Corinthian church. And it was all grounded in or boiling down to the fact they weren't grounded in God's word. They were grounded in the culture. In other words, the culture of the city of Corinth was shaping this church more than the word of God was shaping the church. And now, now we're into a place that's real and a temptation and a real danger. When the, when the culture or when cultural relevance shapes the worship of the church more than the word of God incredibly dangerous. And let me just take you back to verses 22 to 25 to talk about relevance. What made worship in the Corinthian church relevant to outsiders and unbelievers? Paul says in verses 22 to 25, not showiness, which is what they were doing with tongue speaking, not showiness, not impressiveness, not flashiness. No, Paul says authentic, which I would say means no pretension. I would say this way, authentic means unpretentious ordinariness. That's a mouthful. Authenticness just means unpretentious ordinariness, not show, not impress, all this stuff. Paul says, just, would you just, just teach the word of God? Yes, teach it in a way that's understandable. But let the word of God do its power. Let the word of God change hearts as we see in verse 25, when these outsiders and these unbelievers fall on their face. Why? Because the word of God spoken and preached changed them. Now, worship that builds up the church is worship that's rooted in the word of God. Why? Look at verse 37. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. What's Paul saying there? The church is not built up by prophets that do their own thing. 
or reinvent the wheel or try to make it, you know, super, super relevant because the word of God is just archaic and outdated and it doesn't really have a whole lot to say in our culture today. It's a different time. You know, those kind of arguments. Paul's saying, listen, people are changed by the word and by the spirit. People and their hearts are changed by the word of God and the spirit of God at age 22. When I was not a believer, I was an unbeliever. My conversion was marked by the word of God and the spirit of God. And a lot of you have that same kind of story, that your heart has been changed. When you've come to know Christ, it's become, sure, prophets have spoken from up front like this or one-on-one and across from a cup of coffee, but it's the word of God and it's the spirit of God. And Paul's saying that's what changes people. Corinthian church, be rooted in God's word. Worship that is rooted in God's word will bring about change. Then Paul concludes in verse 40. But all things should be done decently and in order. That's kind of the summary of his whole chapter. In a church that had gone wild, it's crazy. There was no order. People were being hurt. Outsiders and, and unbelievers were being driven away. People inside were being hurt. People are talking over each other. Nobody's listening. All the stuff we've talked about. Paul says things should be done decently and in order. Do you know that order is just an outworking of love? Order is an outworking of love. Worship that welcomes others is orderly and loving. Worship that puts others first is orderly and welcoming. Worship that is rooted in God's word and therefore rooted in the word Jesus Christ is orderly and loving. I want you to think about a, an orchestra. Think about an orchestra uh, that doesn't have a conductor. I know I've mentioned this several times now, but imagine an orchestra where there's no conductor and every person that's playing an instrument is left to answer the question to themselves, what should I play? What should I practice? You can imagine just the nightmare scenario that is. Or if the, the brass section of the orchestra says, we're gonna play this musical piece, the string section says, we're gonna play this musical piece, and what's the result? A bunch of noise and no melody, right? An orchestra needs a conductor. Listen to this. By submitting to the authority of a conductor, individual musicians attain musical expression they could never realize individually or even as a collection of freewheeling players. If worship is going to build up the church, then worship needs a conductor, worship needs a king. And that king is Jesus. Jesus is king, regardless of whether we agree or not, he is king. But there's a difference between Jesus functioning as king in your heart or Jesus functioning as king in the heart of a church. When Jesus Christ is functioning as king in the heart of a church, the need to impress others, which leads to pretentiousness and cold and unwelcoming environments, disappears. Because when Jesus is your king, you don't need to impress others. All the affirmation that you need comes from Jesus Christ. And now you're free to welcome others with authenticity 
When Jesus is functioning as king, you don't have to interrupt and rudely talk over and not listen just so you can prove you're right and they're wrong. That need to be understood is met in Christ. And so with that need met, now you're able to listen well and listen long to really try to understand someone without having to be understood because you're understood by Jesus and that's enough, right? When Jesus is functioning as king, the novel attempts to make the gospel relevant disappear. The gospel is relevant because the gospel tells the story of your heart. And if you're an outsider and an unbeliever here, I say that, that the gospel tells the story of your heart. If you will listen to it, if you will read it, if you will take it in, you will see that, wow, this gospel of Jesus Christ answers my questions about who I am and about this broken world. It doesn't need to be made relevant. It is relevant. And when Jesus and his word function as king, worship builds the church up. New people come to know Christ. The family grows all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, all that we've just talked about, worship that welcomes others, worship that puts others first, Jesus, you embody that because you welcomed us when we were broken, rebellious sinners operating independent of you, trying to live our lives and figure this thing out on our own. You opened your arms and welcomed us. Scriptures say that while we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us and opened the way into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, we read of you in Philippians 2 that you became obedient even to death on a cross to love us well. Oh, Father, would you make us a people who are warm, who are welcoming, who listen well, who respect one another because we are a people who are responding to you, King Jesus, and having all of our needs met by you. Oh, Father, as we continue to worship, would you melt our hearts, and as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, which is the ultimate meal of welcome from you, Father, would you prepare our hearts for it? And would you remind us of the grace that we have in Jesus? We pray this all. In Christ's name, amen.